I pray that you'll anoint him with your Holy Spirit. And may your voice speak through him. May it be your voice that we hear as we listen and share together. Come Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Nice to be with you again. We're on the, as we have been said, the last um, sign of uh, seven. And uh, I did number two and get to do number seven, but I'm just waiting for my little uh, signpost to uh, come up any second now. It's a sign that I can continue. There we go. If you were here five weeks ago, you would have seen um, that little uh, uh, collage of signposts. And one of the things... I said last time I was here that signposts are really useful, but you don't sit and adore the signpost. Uh, you, you take it and you move on to the greater that it points to, and that's what your series of these um, seven signs, miraculous signs of, of Jesus, uh, that um, they point forward. And if anything, uh, the last of the seven, this account in John chapter 11, page 1077, just find a church Bible right in front of you and open it to 1077. It's quite a long account, so um, at risk of you falling asleep with it, I thought we'll just look at it and I'll refer to it and we'll go through it and we'll read certain verses as we uh, come to it. Uh, But if you're brand new to church, congratulations. Your first day in church is great to be here. And uh, if you're not familiar with the uh, Bible, this is part of the life of Jesus in what I call the Gospels. And uh, this is a, an amazing account. And uh, in, in summary, Jesus and his disciples are away from Jerusalem and they get a message from uh, some good friends of uh, Jesus, Mary and Martha, saying their brother's ill, will he come and uh, make him better, miraculously? And uh, Jesus doesn't arrive quick enough. You'll see why in a few minutes. And, and he dies, and they're grief-stricken. And when Jesus comes along, uh, well, join me when we get there. But if you look at page 1077, the opening title says, The Death of Lazarus, which is true, but hardly an exciting title uh, to a, an exciting chapter. And uh, over the page, it says, Jesus comforts his sisters. I would dispute that to a degree. He does in the end, but not in those verses. Uh, he actually, uh, I think, and we'll talk, think about it later, I actually think he probably compl- uh, compounds their sense of frustration and disappointment. But then you get, and it's almost far too good for words, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And you're all sat silent. One of the most amazing things that has ever happened, uh, short of his own resurrection, and we just kind of sit in church and probably think, I know the story. I'm not being unkind to you, but we just kind of accept it. But it is absolutely stunning. And you'd think, well, if somebody dropped dead in this service and it was you, you'd be very glad that Jesus has the power to raise the dead, would you not? And if he raised you from the dead in the front of the rest of us, would we sit here and say, Jesus raised Ethel from the dead? Isn't that good? I guess we wouldn't, would we? We'd be really excited. Apologies if your name's Ethel, by the way. But, uh, uh, um, have we got an Ethel here, just out of interest? No, it's all right then. 
Um, um, but but it, it's a sign, it's amazing, and I will be incapable of inducing the sense of amazement and wonder at what was happening here. So I say that in advance. But we're talking about amazing things. And it's the seventh sign, and for those who follow biblical numbers and significances, uh, seven is a kind of sense of completion. And the great uh, sign that comes after it is Jesus himself raised from the dead. So signposts point us forwards. But as this progression to what's now the last of the seven signs in your your series... um, the, the mood has changed. Uh, back in chapter 2, which was after the first sign at Cana and before the second, uh, the raising, uh, sorry, the, the healing of the uh, uh, workman's son uh, at a distance. Uh, then John makes a note uh, saying this. Now, while he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. That's the point of the signs, that people would believe, not just uh, that good things happen. And yet, in chapter 10, verse 38, just before this account of Lazarus, we read another comment of, of John, quoting Jesus, saying, Even though you do not believe me, Believe the miracles, or we would say the signs, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So what's happened really is that the balance has shifted. You can't see that very well, but it is good old scales, you know, weighing down one side or or the other. And, And at the beginning of the miraculous signs, people are turning to Jesus and they're trusting in him. By the time it gets to this last one and, and the ongoing rest of, of John's Gospel, there's the more weighed-down balance of being sceptical about Jesus and particularly the authorities, as John talks about them. Um, they, they want Jesus dead. They want him out of the way. They don't want to believe in him. And the irony, of course, is they end up killing him and he proves the very point that they were so reluctant to accept. And, and, and so the balance has shifted, if you like. And, uh, and, and then we come to the account of uh, Lazarus, and even that is a bit contentious because uh, his disciples are saying, we better not go back to Jerusalem for the reasons I've just stated, that they're after your blood, let's stay uh, away. But Jesus refuses to stay away, but he doesn't go straight away. And Jesus says in verse 4 of chapter 11, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So Jesus knows. He can see what's happening around this. And both at the human level, it would not be nearly so tragic as it looked. And it looked tragic because he died. And at the spiritual level, as I hope you've seen through the seven signs you've looked at, Jesus is not simply offering a one-man welfare state. That'd be good if we could have one, wouldn't it? Just one person could cure all the ailments uh, that the NHS struggles to deal with for us. Uh, Jesus is saying, I am not a one-man health service, even though he has the power to heal, even though he wants people to be well in every sense of the word, body and soul. But he says, 
as per our signposts, they are only signposts. They're not the end product. And so when we get to verse 6, we read, When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So Jesus deliberately delayed. And I don't know what the New Testament world was like in terms of instant, e.g. coffee, results, satisfaction, you know, all the kind of we want it now kind of culture that we live in. But I can tell you that Mary and Martha wanted an instant cure for their brother who didn't get one at this point. And um, the question comes whether now or no, not yet is better. Mary and Martha wanted it now. We want you to heal our sick brother. Nothing wrong with that, is there at all? If, if you're a Christian, you probably spend, in my experience, a, a high proportion of your prayer life will be for sick people and um, physical struggles. I don't think it should be that high, because actually, if this is anything to go by, we, we should be more praying about the glory of God through the sufferings than instant cure. But we can't get away from the fact that it's part of our fabric, our DNA, is that if we see suffering, we want it resolved straight away. Jesus doesn't appear to support that idea because he delayed. He sits on this call for help, and by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Humanly, as his good friends Mary and Martha looked at him, they undoubtedly would have thought, that seems rather uncaring when I'm being modest, that he took so long to arrive. It was a uniquely important delay, precisely because Jesus made it happen. He didn't have to, but it didn't seem so for so long. So the kind of finger of God is weighing down those scales, saying, no, not now, uh, but later. And that raises an issue in my mind and my spirit and my life, and I can only ask you to decide whether you agree with it, is that whether I, as a, a person of faith, look at the world and everything about my life and, and whoever my life intersects with, and it intersects with most of the world in terms of as soon as you turn the television news on and so forth. So do we look at earth and, and project that onto heaven and say to God, we need this done? Important though it might be, genuine though it might be, do we look at heaven through earth's eyes, which in one sense is inevitable, or do we look like Jesus did on this occasion at earth through heaven's eyes? That's the opposite way round. And it seems to me that Jesus very clearly looks at this situation and he looks at the earthly situation through heaven's eyes, which I would say to you is a more comforting view of vision. <laughs> than looking at earth and then projecting 
that onto heaven. In other words, this is our problem, you've got to do this for us. Jesus looks through heaven's eyes and says, actually, this is not about me being a one-man welfare state. It's about showing the glory of God. And all this just is compounded in, in my mind as I look at this reading when Jesus gets onto the scene. Because when he does arrive four, late, four days later, he, he hasn't even got into the village when Martha hears he's on his way. So she obviously comes out of the village and, um, and, and speaks to him. And uh, obviously Jesus pauses for this conversation and it's a conversation about the resurrection of the dead and so forth and she affirms that and Jesus makes uh, a big bold statement which I've used in many a funeral. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That to this day the words of Jesus comfort people when at a funeral. And, and this is all kind of general tr- truth, and, and, and Mary is still under the impression that it's all too late now. And our only hope for Lazarus is that he will rise at the resurrection. She then rushes to tell Mary uh, that Jesus said he wants to speak to her. Now, what's the easiest way of Jesus speaking to Mary? Mary, It would have been to go back with Martha. And yet actually, as we read the account, we see that Jesus didn't go back with Martha. Verse 28 onwards, after she'd said this, this is Martha, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, which is strictly not true because Jesus still hasn't arrived yet. Uh, and And he's asking for you. Now listen to this, verse 29. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him, Jesus. Now listen to John's comment. Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. Now if, you, if, you, if we accept that the four-day delay was intentional on Jesus, he's still not satisfied that he's, he's ready to launch straight into it. And, and he, he, he lets Martha go back, speak to Mary. Mary comes back, and Jesus has not moved an inch. Do you see how the account gives this impression and adds to this sense that Jesus is in no hurry? Now, I have to say to you, and I say this respectfully, if I was Mary and I got back to Jesus, the first thing I would have said is, well, why couldn't you have come? You'd have been quicker. Why couldn't you come to me? Martha would have brought you. But no, you've not moved. And I guess I have to admit that I probably couldn't receive what Jesus wanted to say to me because I'd be quite irritated by this point. That, well, why all this delay? Can't we just get on with whatever you want to teach us? I think this is a really important visual message that Jesus is giving to Mary. Look, you're concerned, I understand that. But actually, you obviously didn't say this as far as the account goes, if you hang on a bit, you will find the outcome is much better than you could ever have imagined. He doesn't say that, at least in the text. What he says to Mary, which to be frank, if I was Mary, is equally absurd, where have you laid him? Well, from Mary's point, well, that's almost irrelevant now. He's gone, he's dead, he's buried. Four days ago, he's in the tomb. What does it matter where he is? You weren't here when we needed you. 
she didn't. Did Jesus not know? Of course he, he, he would know. Uh, the Son of God is going to raise him from the dead, so he's likely to know where he is to raise him. And then there's that lovely statement. starts out in the book of John, interestingly as well. Come and see. A, a potential disciple was asked to come and see Jesus. And now Mary says to Jesus, come and see. I wonder what she was thinking when she said that word. Come and see just how late you are. Come and see just how ended it now is. Come and see. Don't know what her feeling was. And Jesus then delays things even more by having a little weep. And you kind of think, has he lost the plot here? What? He's, we told him, it's too late. Lazarus is dead, and suddenly it's dawned on him that it's all over now and he's weeping. But of course that would just be a human perception. That would be looking at it from earthly eyes. Um, I think we would probably all agree that Jesus isn't weeping out of sudden shock and failure. That's just not on the account because we know he knew what was going to, to happen. I'll leave you to think about why possibly Jesus was weeping. But the point is, he's now got to the final sign in John's Gospel at least before what comes in Easter week. And still, people have not twigged. Still, they don't understand. And just look at verse 37. Let's just ponder on it for a minute. Some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this from dying? That's simply profound. Because, of course, it's not true. But as they say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind highlights how blind they are. You with me? They're saying, you know, he's, he's opened the eyes of the blind and yet they haven't got the spiritual sight to realise what Jesus is going to do. Their, their thinking is still time-bound. Uh, it's too late now. And had they not remembered the, the second sign where Jesus healed from a distance the, the, the son who was ill and the, the son who was ill and, and it took time for the message to go back and come back and the message comes back to Jesus, uh, he's, he's healed and, and, and the question is what time was he healed and it was at the exact moment you spoke it. So they'd, so they'd got some perception around, and I'm sure a story like that would, would be promulgated pretty fast um, orally around the people. So they knew Jesus could heal at a distance, so they, they knew of his power, so they must implicitly know Jesus could do something here, and yet they hadn't learned. Or if they had learned, they could say, well, we know he heals at a distance because he's done it before, and yet he hasn't done it this time. So therefore, he set us up for a fall. So either way, they kind of felt uh, they'd got Jesus over a barrel because one way or another, he'd let them down. And yet here he is, ready to do so much, and yet they've reached the end of the road. No more signposts for them because it's all come tumbling 
down. And then eventually Jesus, and we haven't, still haven't got to uh, the, the actual act yet, says, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a, a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. So it's got that formidable sign uh, that this is all over. The stone has, has, has sealed Lazarus in. And Jesus says, remove the stone. Are you jumping ahead in this story a bit? A stone that was final and the stone was removed. In this case, it's Lazarus. And Jesus says, take away the stone. And, and they're thinking, this is ridiculous. Four days ritually was, was bad news to be uh, re-exposing a, a dead body. Spiritually, and of course physically, uh, it would be starting to rot by now, and they're not happy about it at all. But verse 41 says, they took away the stone. What, what incredible trust. Even though they were fighting doubts about Jesus, they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, and he still hadn't got to it yet, they must have been kind of waiting on the edges now, when are we going to get to it? What is happening here? And he prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And they're all thinking, well, he didn't hear us when we were calling him. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, the people right in front of him. So he's praying to God, talking about them, that they may believe that you sent me. So even on the verge of this incredible event, Jesus is still saying, this is not simply about you having Lazarus back. It's all about faith in Jesus. And shortly they would need all the faith they could find. Because... Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. We don't know whether he shouted it out boldly, like as a statement to the dead, or we don't know whether he said it calmly and quietly to prove that his authority was not about volume. However he said it, first of all, I can imagine a second or two that feel, felt like an age of just silence. So what? Lazarus, come out? Then they heard the creaking of bones that had seized up, becoming loosened again. Then they heard the shuffle of somebody coming out. And then they saw, just, just put yourself there at the scene, they saw what they presumed to be a dead body wrapped up in cloths, awkwardly walking out of this cave, and they knew only one thing. This has got to be Lazarus. He's called him by name. There's a very old commentator um, who, who wrote of, of this statement, Lazarus, come out. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a bit quirky. I'm sure it's not literally true, but it does make a point. Uh, this commentator wrote, Jesus had to name Lazarus to come out because if he simply shouted, come out, all the dead from all the caves... <laughs> would come out. But it makes a point, does it? That's the power of Jesus, the specific power of Jesus. Lazarus, who's now got dead ears, <laughs> dead feet, a dead heart, come out, and he is alive again. 
and the silence that must have seemed like an age when they saw a, sh- a shuffling body coming out of there. Can you imagine the gasp of shock, surprise, even potential delight? But they are so frozen on the spot that Jesus has to say to them, I'll put it in colloquial, for goodness sake, get them bandages off him. That's what he says, take them off. So Jesus, the one who looks at earth from heaven's eyes, has now brought about something of the glory of God. They have seen that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob the God who's come to earth in the form of Jesus Christ is the God of the resurrection, the God of the living. So can I ask you as we come to ourselves, would you rather, Jesus, just do what you think you need from him today? Or would you rather him do what he wants to do, is willing to do, and is capable of doing that will result in greater glory for God, make greater glory of Jesus, and in the process, ultimately, after the delay, greater joy in your life and your being. Shall we take a vote on it? We won't, but I think I know what you would want to say. But like Martha, like Mary, At the moment, spiritually you want to go, but in all your frustrations of life at the moment, as you see it through earthly hours, you want to go like that. You don't want to vote spiritually, or your your humanity, your body, your circumstances are very different. But, you know, we have to learn. It's, it's, It's just so fundamental to our faith, isn't it, that we've got to live for later. We can't just live for now, because if we live for now, like Mary and Martha, we're just going to be weeping with disappointment at Jesus, because he no more answers your prayers as as a one-man welfare state Messiah than he did for Mary and Martha. And the sad thing for us is we may well have to wait a lot longer, even than Mary and Martha did. I guess if you thought your crisis would be solved by Jesus in five days, that would be a good answer to prayer for today, wouldn't it? You'd, you'd, you'd at least get through till Friday, wouldn't you? Knowing that, that, But you may have to wait a longer. And indeed, we have to wait uh, a lifetime for God to, uh, to uh, answer our prayers fully and fully show us what it is. But uh, the best things in life are worth waiting for. So as we come to think about this for ourselves and come to communion, Jesus knows, just like he knew for Mary and Martha. He knew that the sign would be greater than they could ever imagine. And just three things I want to mention. Jesus knows your pain and disappointment. He knows all your prayers that he has not, in your understanding, thus far answered. He knows every pain, every disappointment, every hurt that you might feel. And contrary to what some people might say, I would say, be honest with yourself and with Jesus about your disappointments. He actually knows them anyway. (laughs) 
So therefore, if you tell him, he's glad that you're being honest with him and he knows your pain, he knows your disappointment and he has it in hand, in mind and in glory. He holds all that and just be assured that that is true. But the the other thing that he wants you to know is that he will always put his father first. He will always do what his father wants. He said about that in the Gospels, didn't he? I've come to do my father's business. Uh, Whatever my father asks of me, I will do. And his father always looks to the greater glory. He wants you to see the greater glory. He doesn't want you to see a fraction of his glory. He wants you to see the whole. And that sometimes means waiting. And bear in mind that Jesus always wants to do his father's will. And thirdly, Jesus will always do what he has to do. And it's not without significance that this final seventh sign, the raising of Lazarus, leads straight into Easter week. And the rest of of John, uh, coming on for half of it, I guess, is really about Easter week, where Jesus allowed to happen to himself what had happened to Lazarus, in an even worse sense, to allow himself to be taken, to be tried falsely, to be scourged and whipped, to be hung on a cross, to be laid in a grave, only for on the third day, the stone to be moved away. Nobody saw Jesus come out, but they saw him when he was out. And that brings us right to the communion table. And what was uh, the start of the end in John's gospel became the new beginning for us today. It came to Easter week. And uh, we're on the verge of Easter now as we've come into Lent. How's your Easter going to be? Are you going to remember all the pain that wasn't even a fraction uh, compared to uh, Mary and Martha's? Uh, All the pain that Jesus went through so that we, could see the glory of God. Have you seen the signs, I hope, through this series? Are you stuck in the mud somewhere where you're in hope, but you haven't got the whole? And there's nothing wrong with having faith in Jesus, but at times being frustrated with him. I mean, ideally, it shouldn't be like that. But in reality, it's not that if I've got faith, I must never have a struggle with how Jesus seems to be dealing with me. It doesn't matter if you've got faith and frustrations together. We've got hope, but not the whole at the moment. But one day, we will have the whole. And that's what we're working to. Uh, Let me just finish this little series of seven for you by quoting what John says at the end of chapter 20. Not quite the end of his gospel. But he says after the resurrection, Jesus did many other miraculous signs. So these seven are not the whole of them. John's just chosen to use these. In the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life raised like Lazarus 
And uh, very quickly, uh, let me just say, this word believe, believe is an English word, the verb to believe we have in English. And we use that a lot in translations of the New Testament to translate a word uh, that uh, we don't have in English, a verb. And you'll be surprised what this verb is. The verb is to faith. It's a verb. We don't have it in English. Sometimes people might speak it as a kind of colloquialism, but we have no verb to faith. Faith is a noun. Faith is a thing. And sometimes people say to me, especially if they know I'm a minister, oh, I'd like to have faith like you have, but I can't. And I say to them, it's not a thing. It's what you do. It's a verb. And because we have no verb to faith, we translate it from the New Testament as to believe, which is not a problem, except belief just really kind of engages with your mind, doesn't it? Faith engages with your whole life. So if we say these words, these things are written that you might faith in Jesus, and that by faithing you will have life in his name. That to me is more rounded, although in English it sounds a bit clumsy, but you know the challenge for all of us is to trust God with the signs, to faith in him, and one day, I mean, if I said to you, if if Lazarus walked in today and told you his story as a testimony, we'd probably all be gripped. But what about that day when you see Jesus and you see him face to face, look him in the eye, and you see all the glory of God? What a day. What a faith. What joy. Are you challenged by that? Are you encompassed by it? Please, somebody nod. (laughs) Do do you feel that, as I remember singing when I was a kid, it was an old hymn, I think, it will be worth it all, anybody know it? When we see Jesus, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Folks, don't just see the signs of which this is another See what's behind them. See Jesus. And if somebody is here today who's just starting to engage with all this stuff from the Bible, I would say to you, don't wait until you've got enough kind of mental credibility in your head to say, yes, I can believe. Take up faith as a verb. Take up trusting in Jesus, and then it will start to grow, and you'll be able to Perhaps when we all get to glory, sing together, it was worth it all. Now I can see Jesus.